what is it, a bad joke on being played on us? We have, some of us have ne negative self-images or low self-esteem. Some of us, then we go through trainings or therapies and then we get high self-esteem and a positive self-image. And now we work so hard for years doing all these activities, acquiring things, learning how to dress us a certain way, how to present ourselves a certain way, how to achieve certain things and how to perhaps much of the time feel more comfortable with what we think we are inside our head. And then the Buddha comes along and says, let it all go. Why do we have to work so hard? Apparently we do. As one uh, psychotherapist I know put it, you have to become a somebody before you can become a nobody. I'm not sure that's absolutely true because what I saw in Asia, if you start soon enough, the, uh, it isn't so clear, black and white that first you have to become a somebody and then a nobody. Uh, all along you can learn how to uh, be adequate without uh, it having to be so self-centered and egocentric and self-cherishing. Uh, but it does seem to be so for many of us, and um, there is a certain grieving you have to go through, this hard-earned, uh, egotistical sense of self that we went to graduate school for, we went to professional schools, that we did this, that, and the other for. It's not the achievements. There's nothing wrong with them. Keep doing it. It's that we've used them to create a sense of who we are in this story that we're defending Sometimes it feels demolished. Uh, we're reassuring ourselves. Listen to your mind, self-knowing, throughout the day. Uh, unless it's just my mind. It's astonishing how it's talking to itself pretty much all day. And a lot of it is reassuring itself that it's okay. Or that if it isn't, what, what it will be. Or if it's in a bad run, that no matter what happens, I, I'm not going to be happy. I'm no, I'm no good. It's no good. Uh, whatever it is, you can hear the mind is working something out. Well, even in our sleep, it's dreaming about itself. Well, is there any place else? Is that what human existence is? Of course, what all the great spiritual teachings are saying, that there is. It goes beyond what we call the unconscious. And it's already here. It's not something you cultivate or grow. Uh, you don't import it from uh, India or wherever. Uh, every human being is born with it. Um, this may sound a little bit... When the mind gets very empty and very quiet, I feel what happens is you connect up with that energy that's animating the whole universe. We're already living from that energy right now. If we were alive, everything is life energy. But we're getting little droplets, you know, because we've... We've made this little enclave with stitched together with our story, me and mine and where I was and where I used to be and what I will be and what I'm doing now. And we're, getting, we're all drawing upon that energy. When that falls away, you have access to the same energy that's animating everything, whatever you want to call that. In Buddhism, very modestly, it's called emptiness. I'm not so satisfied. It sounds better to call it God, I think. But uh, then you get into other problems. <laughs> okay. How many people are feeling a little drowsy? Yeah. Uh, it's not unusual after a meal, after lunch. Why don't we do about five minutes or so of some walking meditation? We're going to do natural walking. 
as you move, it doesn't have to be so precise. Get a sense of being in the body as you move. And the mind will get involved with its story, thinking about this, thinking about that, looking at how that one is dressed, how this one is dressed. Come back to just the sense of movement. Let's step it out, please. I do want to say a few words about relationship, which is an important part of, of living. Of course, there's so many things that we won't be able to cover specifically, like aging, sickness, death, everything, really. But I hope the principles, uh, which are really not bound to any content, you'll see that they can be applied anywhere, everywhere. But what's on your mind? Anything come up that we can talk over together? Please. Do you think you do? Forget about the advice. vary from person to person. Uh, let's say you wanted to learn mathematics. Wouldn't it be helpful if there was somebody who had done it for 20 or 30 years? That's all. Now, but within uh, spiritual worlds, the relationship to the teacher is really, I think, what's crucial is it can, where the teacher becomes a guru or there, in between there's a gradation. Here, the teacher is uh, more of a spiritual friend. It's not a guru-oriented tradition at all. Okay. Um, could it be helpful? Certainly, but find the teacher. Where are you going to find this teacher? Under a rock? I mean, well, you know... <laughs> grab them and, <laughs> and then wring every bit of truth they have out of it. Come clean, yeah. Uh, you know, let life teach you. In other words, it's good you're coming here, you're going to Barry. Um, some teacher-student relationships can be extraordinarily beneficial. I've had a few. Really have changed my life. Okay. Um, the ones I'm thinking of, there, are, there were a few, the main thing, they, they were very helpful, but mainly they taught me how to stand on my own f two feet and how to take responsibility for my own happiness or lack of it and how to pay attention to what was happening independent of what that was, is. Okay? Bad English, but it's... it's um, but that evolved. It isn't that I went looking for a teacher. And so um, you'll know there's a kind of a, a law of affinity... You'll connect or you won't. Uh, some people, um, I see some people a lot over many years. 
Some people, it's like a dental checkup once every six months or once a year. We have interviews offered. Where do you live? Oh, Maine. All right. Yeah, and on retreats, we do see people. Um, sometimes it can be helpful uh, to have, to, to have um, meet with somebody who's, who's at it, been at it longer than you have. And it's not just the instructions. Finally, when it gets deeper, you see, we're, if self-deception is part, it's helpful if somebody can see clearly areas where you're holding on and don't know it or refuse to let go, which are causing suffering. So it depends. So there are what you could call instructors. There's instruction that can be helpful. And you can get a lot of it from books. In the meantime, don't wait until you meet Miss or Mr. Wright. Okay? Keep practicing and you know, read... Um, and go to these places, and if you, if you meet someone who it feels, you'll know. There's no formula for it. And then uh, just start working with that person or bring it up. Or, um, it's not, for example, you said, will you be my teacher? If, let's say you ask me that. Sure. <laughs> I mean, as long as you don't make me sign a contract, you know. Uh, and then what will that mean? It means any time that I, that you present yourself and want to talk about something, if I'm realistically present, I'll do my best to listen to you. Okay. Can it develop to become more than that? Yes, it, it can. But uh, it's not something you can force. It's, uh, like, it's life itself. Yeah. Mainly, this is corny, but life is the great teacher. That's basically... But you have to be... be there are no students signing up. That's the problem. The curriculum's all set. Depending on how you look at it, tuition is either free or it costs you an arm and a leg. Dep- but uh, life keeps teaching us all the time about all kinds of things. Impermanence. All, day, all kinds of things. But if you're not... Uh, everyone is, is, is in the same life. But if you, what we're trying to do is cultivate a quality of mind that's interested so that we can learn the lessons that nature is teaching us. Dharma means, one meaning of Dharma is um, the natural truth, natural truth. And, uh, okay, yeah. Sure. Please. A new what? Okay, I'm not saying destroy all the photographs. No, I know. I know. I'm just saying that it's not just a kind of take the blame off of us objectifying ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, finally test it. Maybe we shouldn't. What's the big deal? Why let go of these representations? Why not live out your life that way? Okay. Depending on who's making them, you're right, but it could be that they're very constricting. 
Well, are there any, any ones that aren't? See, they're all limitations. They're putting you in a kind of box of a certain kind. They're conceptual boxes to yourself. And it's all you. It's, uh, you may have gotten it from, out, from outside. Sure, we get it from the culture and so forth. But finally, uh, it's an unexamined process that's going on. And it's been going on a long time. Now, it, what we're doing is intervening and watching how the mind functions. And you see, it, it, it has, it's constantly selfing. It's making up, it's using the materials like nutriments, nourishment, uh, let's say future. That's me, my future and my past. Every, and if you recall the instructions at this last sitting, everything that's coming through the mind, typically we identify with it, and those are the, the materials that we nourish the sense of self. Now, uh, fine, what's wrong with that? Well, what the teachings are saying is that when you're suffering, find out who's suffering. You'll see it's, the, it's me. Uh, it's, this was done to me. Let's say a simple thing. Probably many of us had discomfort in the body already today, maybe pain in the body. If you can observe it, you feel the throb, throb, ache, ache. It's not pleasant, but it's just what it is, throb, throb, ache, ache. But to, if, the, if the quality of awareness is not too steady and there are a lot of gaps in it, you'll see that the mind swoops right in and then it becomes my knee. Then it becomes my knee hurts. And then it can become self-pity and a whole melodrama and why should I put myself through this? Once it becomes me and we attach to it, then um, it becomes something quite different. Uh, and so this, and let's say you live with somebody for a long time, a partner or husband, a wife, child, whatever. We form images of them. We form images of ourselves, and they're doing it to us. And when we meet them, we don't really see them if, it's, if you've been with a person for a while because uh, we, without, it's not that we're doing it so intentionally. Uh, that It's kind of between us and the person. If you start to see those images, which are like conclusions about who that person is, if that falls away, there's uh, an immediate, intimate, raw connection with the person. And it's a different way of living. Uh, it's a kind of, uh, you could call it communion with life. And it's not just about people. Ta- look, here's how uh, my first teacher started me off about uh, awareness. We t- were taking a walk in the woods. And he said, pick something, we stopped. Uh, so I picked, I don't remember, I think it was a flower of some sort. And he said, now look at it carefully. Uh, and, and, you know, I did. and he said, do you know the name of this flower? I said, sure. You know, so I said that. And I said, and see if you can just look at it as if for the first time with, without any knowledge, no names, no associations, just, just this. Okay. And you see, it was not easy because the mind kept furnishing me with notions about what was happening. Or is, I'm doing it now. I'm really observing the flower. You know. uh, and every time that came in, uh, my connection with the flower changed. And then when the mind was just, it was un, when there was nothing between the flower and I, that means the less Larry there was, the more flower there was. The more Larry, the less flower. You see what I'm getting at? Okay, so, and then he went from that, and so, I, you know, you can learn how to do that. Go to the zoo, do it with animals anywhere. Uh, go to the Museum of Fine Arts here, and go to your favorite painting. 
Only see if you can, and you know, you probably have a history of what you've been told about this. If you have art history background, you're finished. <laughs> okay. Okay. Or, and see if you can just look at it freshly. I've done this. It's great fun. And sometimes what is called a world masterpiece, you realize it doesn't move me at all. I can't connect with this at all. But I've, over the years, I've been because I'm supposed to. I didn't realize how much I was adding to it of conditioning. Listen to your favorite piece of music, and you'll see stuff who, who you heard that with. You heard that in Vienna, conducted by, you know, uh, you know and you, when you were there with Mary Jane or Jimmy or whoever, and a whole story's going on, isn't that? It's Beethoven, after all. Uh, when you see through that and let it go, and it's just pure sound, uh, it's even more beautiful. Or it isn't. So that, that's, that's what I'm saying. Uh, when Dogen says to know the self is to forget the self, it's mean we have to start where we are to get to know ourselves in an ordinary way, our personality and our character, taking stock of ourselves. And it's not like that ends. You, you know, you, you learn in that, on that level throughout life when you, you do things and you see that was off and that hurt someone, and you, you learn from it. But more and more, the mind is not cluttered, and it's, it becomes simpler, and it's connecting with life in a direct, unmediated, intimate way. No separation. And it's, it's a different way of living, that's all. Someone asked the same Dogen, what is enlightenment or what is awakening? And he said to be intimate with all things. Okay, now you start with yourself. The hardest one is to be intimate with yourself, believe it or not. The reason we're not intimate with all things is because we're so full of ourselves, which keeps imposing its, itself on top of and between us and whatever it is that is involved. I don't know, is this word salad or my No. Does any of it, yeah. Yeah. How do you, how would you deal with um, the kind of attention you're talking about with the sorrow of the suffering? What's the difference? Well except one's harder to learn. Yeah. Like what? Like I have a lot of trouble with anxiety. I yes. That's a good one. Let's take that one. So I guess it's hopeless. You're finished. <laughs> Next. <laughs> she knows that. She's on to me. <laughs> if you form all these conclusions, if you make I can't do it, you have I can't do it. Okay, but let, let's, this is a good one for all of us. Self-knowing. Okay, uh, learning how to live. One of them, the, the Buddha at the very outset said all he's teaching is suffering and the end of suffering. That's all he's teaching. All of these endless... Uh, suffering, all, he's t- all he is teaching is suffering and the end of suffering. In other words, there's not philosophic conjecture about this. Or, uh, there are lots of interesting things that what the mind can do. Uh, and he's not interested. In, he's just talking about this, human suffering. Okay. 
which of course is a big enough agenda. Okay. Um, so how does that, uh, then we move into self-knowing, learning how to live. Uh, the most basic one and essential one, and pro probably the hardest, is uh, if you want to know, you don't have to know a lot to understand the Buddha's teaching, but you do need to know the Four Noble Truths. That's very important. Uh, first Noble Truth is there is suffering in human existence. It, just, it is. Okay? Anyone, if you want to disagree, it's okay, but... Uh, it seems to be so. There is suffering. If you're alive, there's going to be some suffering. Okay. Second noble truth. This is psychological. We're not talking about pain. You know, the physical pain. Of course, there. Uh, it's caused by craving and attachment, wanting things to be other than the way they are. Okay. Um, the first noble truth is sometimes called the gateway to liberation, and you you set it up beautifully. You were talking about what it's like trapped behind, isolated, lonely. You're not liberated in this sense. Okay. Liberation is it's not some uh, special effect from Hollywood, a Hollywood film. Liberation is exactly learning how to free ourselves from that, from our own mind. We're freeing ourselves from ourselves. No one's imprisoning us. Someone else can imprison the body. Okay. So, how do we start? Uh, personal, let's say, self-knowing. Uh, step number one, you learn about how do you relate to anxiety, let's say. I think everyone in the room, we can use that word. We all, we've all been anxious from time to time. Um, how do you relate to it? Well, one person uh, drowns in it. It's kind of just like this. And then they have to take stuff or go to a movie, do something to get away from it or eat, whatever it is. Another person is, oh, no, good show, everything's fine, what's the problem? Uh, but there, it's there. And as I mentioned earlier, what we're learning is how to open up to and receive, throw the word anxiety out, because you've labeled it, and the label itself is a form of conditioning. It's, it's, it's bad press. Does anyone love anxiety? Oh, here comes anxiety. Terrific, I can't wait for some more of it. So if you say, I'm anxious, bad. No good. Okay. So, and uh, what, we're asked, what is being asked of us is to receive the energy that we have labeled anxiety. The zzz. Okay. Okay. So then it's soft. It's relaxing. Whether you can use the breath to help you. You can use the breath to kind of prepare the mind so it has a better chance of doing what I'm about to say. And then it's widening our capacity to receive that it's not detachment, as some people think. It's non-attachment, which is totally different. It means it's participant observation. We want to intimacy, intimate, if Dogen says intimate with all things, does he mean intimate with everything but anxiety? No, it means all things. So how, are you, how can you be intimate with anxiety? You have to let it be what it is, that's all. Nothing special. You have to let it buzz around or do what it does. It's energy. Okay, but the difference is, Participant observation is we're not from a mountaintop. We're opening up to it. We're right in there with it, but we stay balanced. In other words, we're not interpreting it, explaining it, uh, helping it along, looking at it in order to get rid of it. You know, it's often what people will look at it. It's not gone yet. I've been mindful for you know for two minutes. With uh, he he said, Larry said, you know, like, uh, it's four minutes. It's still he. Uh, 
the corner of the mind, because it's concerned with a goal, is not fully with it. So there's nothing next. There's no, we're not using it to get somewhere else. It's just in this moment, receive it as an expression of life, your life in that moment. And stay with it. To begin with, often you feel it in the body. That's more accessible. Uh, now, then you may feel a tremendous resistance to doing that. I gather that you know that. Okay. It's not you get your face back into that anxiety. Rather, you, you shift into the, into the resistance. And you see just how deep your yearning is to not feel anxious. See, in other words, you go with life. It's not, we're not trying to break the door down and smash our way to freedom. It's more, there's a key. The key is, is awareness. Just, and so it's a new way of relating to the same old anxiety. Now, sometimes you've had enough, or that day you feel nothing's coming of it. You keep getting lost in it or start psychologizing, analyzing, and so forth. It's fine. Just realize uh, it's like you pull over to the side of the road on a journey. Take a rest. You shift to the breath. Shift to metta. Do some walking meditation or whatever. And then perhaps come back with it. Maybe today, not at all. And uh, start noticing small cases of anxiety, which are much easier to watch. You know, let's say during the day you're waiting for a bus and it's uh, six minutes late. Okay, and you feel a little bit antsy. You're going to be a few minutes late because of it. That's manageable. You know, it's, you know, his anxiety has a range of intensity, and so start feeling it at its uh, sort of like baby level when it's just, just not much, and, but it's quite manageable. It's easier to observe. And little by little, you learn the art of uh, letting the energy be what it is and you watching it and watch it arise and pass away. Now, if you're really attending to it, you're not identified with it. If you're identified with it, then you're anxious. Then that is part of your story. I am anxious right now. I hate this anxiety. How do I get rid of it? Tell me what I should do so I don't have to feel anxious. And then there's a whole melodrama. Okay. What I'm trying to do is not jump into your melodrama and just tell you from where I sit, it's kind of boring. I don't want to become part of your melodrama. Uh, why don't you just watch it and see what it is? It's human energy, life energy. And the seeing is also energy. And uh, let it go where it goes, and you might have to you find, see how it copes, puts up, makes up, whatever it is. Learn, that's what learning about yourself. It isn't you know, forcing yourself to stay with that anxiety no matter what, which makes the practice very grim, uh, joyless, and you won't want to do it, and you get discouraged. Now, the fact that you've been practicing and it's now harder than it ever was isn't necessarily bad. It might mean that you're, you're more able to really, it's coming up, and it's always been there, and also you're more sensitive to it, more attuned to it. And maybe you're also more fed up with it. That comes across a, a little bit, no? Uh, but in general, I haven't said anything new, have I? You've heard this, my rap, right? Okay. So do it. What? <laughs> Of the movement of the body? Yes, like, and, and um, you know, say it, it could be even doing a sport where you were talking about the more you're, you're outside of yourself, the more you're inside yourself, the less you're absorbed in what you're doing, which may be 
No, no difference. Take, there's no preference for, or, or, I mean, clearly you can be stiller longer. You're Are you, uh, why do you want, do you trying to find ways to get out of having to sit much? At the moment, I just want to lie down. Lie down. It's been... <laughs> No, no. It's not. Look, um, view it this way. The practice is the practice of, of living. Meditation is the art of living. Sitting meditation is one expression of that art. But what happens is it comes to stand for the whole thing. My boss up there, he's not vacuuming. He's not making love. He's not doing yoga. He's not playing tennis. Uh, and there is something special about sitting, so I don't want to underplay that. But if you then fixate on it and make it an absolute, you will. Uh, if you make anything, any of these things absolutes, you will create a problem for yourself. The whole point is not get fixated. And different people, uh, for example, I love to sit. I really do. So I do more of it. But that doesn't mean you all have to sit as much as I do. Because then, as one teacher put it, then frogs would be the wisest people in the world, but then they're, they're not, or chickens, they're not. You know, so finally, the proof of the pudding is in the eating. It's, are you free? What liberates you? Wisdom, understanding. Uh, suffering is starting to diminish, uh, and you're able to let go of it. Can the sitting practice play a very important part in that process? Absolutely. But let's say... When you're doing yoga asanas or sport, just 100% tennis mind. Just play tennis. 100% headstand mind. So do you, see, do you understand what I'm trying to say? You do? Okay, good. Uh, but I'm not saying, don't set it up as which is inferior or superior. You can't stay in any one posture forever anyway. So you have to, we, we keep moving. We have to change. Uh, I think it would be useful to at least establish some degree of sitting and see where that goes. But that doesn't mean... Okay, do you know why? No, 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 I don't need to know. But you see... Okay, self-knowing means inquiry too hmm, that's interesting. All of a sudden, I just want to lie down all the time. Hmm, I wonder why. Um, what's, that? what's this about? You wanted to know about uh, how other people get turned on to the path. I was trying, uh, why do you want to know that at this moment in time right here? You don't have to tell me uh, because some of that, it becomes, it's very obvious and then, then that's something that might be significant or not. But all I was saying, I thought you meant right now, uh, we have many people enough people, not many, uh, who have serious problems with their body and do the whole, whole retreats, even week-long or longer retreats, much of it putting a couple of mats together. Do it here. for the. If we, we will sit again. 
uh, it's okay. And, but the challenge will be when you lie down, can you stay awake? Because that we've had a lot of practice in that asana. <laughs> yeah, and it, it doesn't tend to make us Buddhas, uh, or uh, the whole society would be uh, glowing. Uh, so it's a posture that's. But you can learn how to stay awake. There's a yoga, a yoga, um, uh, uh, the the corpse posture where the body com- totally relaxed as if it were in sleep and even better, but the mind is quite awake. You can learn that. That's a, a yoga. And so that can happen even through... This is just applying that awareness in whatever you're doing. So you, the answer is yes. You understand. That's what you were saying. I would agree with you. Yeah. Please. I want to return to... Um, sure. Sure. Bringing okay, I don't want to, I'm going to stay away from egolessness. But I, I, then let's go into uh, uh, the self knowing and relationship. Okay. Uh, we'll get to empathy, and, in other words, doing things for the benefit of the other person and then at your expense. Is what I did. I understand it correctly. Um, there, pro- there comes a time, I suspect, when yeah, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. I'm probably establishing uh, an expectation that I can't fulfill in an ongoing way. Okay. Um, someone approaches the Buddha once again. I'm going to paraphrase it. Hey Buddha, I don't have much time. What is this all this stuff about? Finally, can you give me the the brief, the short? version of it. Uh, and Buddha declines three times. It's always three times. And, the, and finally, uh, this person gets his way. They always get their way. Uh, and the Buddha says, uh, attached to nothing whatsoever as being me or mine. Selfing. Okay. Uh, that's the whole practice in a nutshell. Uh, when you're... Uh, holding on to anything. If you look closely, there's me or mine in it. If you're suffering or even when you're not suffering. So relationship, I'm not speaking about what you asked just yet, putting in more general terms. You can, relationship is probably the most difficult for all of us. Um, that's why people become monks and nuns. In other words, it's not, it's not subtle. They'll say it. Whoa. Uh, no money? One meal, let's say in this tradition, if you're a monk in, in ta- ta- places in Thailand, Burma, and so forth, 
one meal a day, uh, you don't handle money, and uh, celibacy. Moreover, you can't even be alone in a room with a woman. There has to be another gentleman there. If it's a nun, okay. But mostly it's about... Nuns are coming to life. Nuns have been neglected for a thousand years or more. Uh, So they're just saying... Everyone gets... I don't know if everyone, but lots of us get wounded in the battlefield of relationship. Uh, Sooner or later, okay, we do. We get hurt with each other. And perhaps that's where the human race is most wanting. We don't know how to live together. It's not just man-woman or man-man, woman-woman, whatever the gender. It's the planet. Look at it. We don't know. We can do, we're marvelous at all kinds of things. We don't seem to be able to live together, and we never have been. It's not, uh, don't blame Bush for everything. It's been going on, if you read, what? If you read the, the Buddha, it was just as true then. We don't know how to live together. He, she is too much, not enough. They're trying to, uh, and so, uh, the hell with it. I'm just going to become a nun or a monk. I can't take this anymore. Okay. But you haven't made that option, have you? I haven't either. We're here. So we have partners or would like to have partners. If you have a partner, you want to get out of the relationship. If you don't have a partner, you want to get into the relationship. If you have children, you wish you were single. If you didn't have children, you want to have children. Uh, when it's cold, it's too cold. I can't wait for the summer. Now people are starting to complain about it's too hot. Uh, so it's just going on and on. Um, hmm. So we're in this arena where relationship plays an important part of our life, not just intimate, but, you know, all day long. We're with people, uh, co-workers, employees, everything, you know. Okay. So one way to look at relationship from a Dharma point of view, in addition to whatever else it is, is that it's a mirror. It teaches you about, in other words, if this is about self-knowing, our day is, uh, relationship is a mirror that teaches you about yourself in the following way. When someone's in your presence, uh, you have a reaction. That reaction is teaching you something about yourself, if you're willing to learn. Okay? It's not that the person is saying, I'm going to teach you something right now. They may say that, but that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, all day long, we're seeing how we react to this, that, and the other. If you're willing, if you can, and at first it's, it's hard at the beginning, you more and more get better at being with your reactivity in relationships. Um, I'll give you an example. My stepdaughter lives with us, and at first her lifestyle isn't a, is very different than my lifestyle. In other words, we live rather different. Uh, okay, and uh, this is going to come out making me look better, of course, but uh, I am neater than she is. Okay, I do put things back. Uh, Two years in the army, eight years in Zen have made me much more orderly. I wasn't to begin with. I, if I take things from a shelf, I put it back. If I rem- take it from the fridge, I put it back. If the, the tea is done, I bring it into the sink. I, so it's, life is easier. And my stepdaughter has none of it. You know, she's finished, just there it is, and just goes her way. And at first, you know, it's uh, okay, uh, fine. My wife was saying, go easy on her. You know, don't, don't. Okay, so, you know, okay. Uh, and then it was starting to build up, you know, just because I wound up picking up after her. She's not a child. She's a grown woman, okay? So I started to have all these thoughts. 
Oh, like uh, strangulation. <laughs> okay. uh, and finally, one time, I said something to her. Uh, sort of like, I'd really appreciate it. I don't remember exactly. I'd really appreciate it if you'd tidy up after yourself, after you're eating, and don't, you'll not leave the crumbs and just walk away and leave the dishes and just go to the next activity. Um, and I could see it, it shook her, you know, because I said it in a certain way. It was not coming from awareness. It was, a rea- it was reactive. Okay. And so that, that brought that out in me, and I saw that I have, first of all, uh, Mr. Meditation uh, is, uh, is, uh, can be quite impatient, quite judgmental, uh, etc. And it was uh, most bruising to my, to my ego, or whatever you want to... It was... My, a certain image I had of myself, which I didn't know I had, uh, was smashed. It's sort of like, wow, I'm really annoyed, and it came out. And it was hurtful to her. In not a big way, but in some way. Okay. So I, I did it. The damage was done. She never made a problem out of it. And she improved a little bit. But then it kept going, and then I kept watching my reactions. As I watched my reactions, which were similar, they started to get weaker and fall away. And there came a point where, at least on one occasion, there was no reaction. And then I said the very same thing. Could you please tidy up after yourself when you finish? It was almost the same words, but the energy was totally different because it wasn't coming from a reaction. It was coming from clarity. Do you, do you see what I... Okay, so she, t- in this sense, she had some kind, without even intending to, uh, help me free myself from certain things that I didn't even know I needed freeing up from. Okay, it isn't limited to her. In other words, that hmm, okay. But so relationship can teach you a lot about yourself. But typically, that isn't the lesson that we learn because we blame the other person or we flatter them. You're the greatest person who I ever met. You're you know I've been waiting all my life for you for the first you know honeymoon phase. And then when it's uh, later on, uh, the person goes from Mother Teresa to Adolf Hitler. You know, in, uh, <laughs> uh, but it's all out there, and we're not watching ourselves. And when we look for faults, we're much more likely to see faults in others than in ourselves. Okay. So this is saying it's not a matter of fault. In fact, what's so different, what's being asked of us, is, is to relate to people with the intention to understand rather than to judge. But our minds are judging, 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 good, bad, no good, kind, no, all day long. Unless, see, mine, it, mine was. Uh, now, of course, it doesn't. <laughs> because, I'm the, because I'm the teacher that you want so badly. <laughs> okay. um, so, but here's my point. If the Buddha says... Uh, not to attach to anything as being me or mine. The practice is, so when you hear that and it's appealing, you say, yeah, I'm not going to attach to anything as being me or mine. You could say that. You can make a New Year's Eve vow. It's not going to stick. You are going to do it. It's too powerful. It's been going for a long time. The practice is, whenever that asserts itself, like this sense of me comes up, you can learn mindfulness is right there with it. That's all. It's not getting rid of anything. And it it has no power. It's benign. When my, it's called taking the poison out of the snake's fangs. So, you but mindfulness is right there. Uh, it's not powerful. 
You don't, you don't tend to act from a stupid place because it's not so much of a reaction. And little by little, it falls away and it's replaced by a different mind altogether, a clear mind. Okay. So um, with children, the question about some children, uh, let's say uh, children, or whatever it is, uh, if you watch what they produce, re- the reactions they produce in you, you're learning about yourself in that moment. It's self-knowing. It's what I'm getting at. But it's valuable in that moment. It's not to then fill up a notebook with all of your, uh, the story of me and my insights. Uh, they're not going to help much. Okay? Do you see what I'm getting at? So it can be very limited. Now let's move on to you. Let's say whatever it is you said, it sounded to me like in every case there was still me in it. Me being self-looking uh, to the other person, me not being, it's uh, rare that it isn't me for all of us until it isn't. I don't know if I'm making sense. You, you, you do some talking. Did anything I say have any relevance for what you asked? What? Your stepdaughter is still going to, she's going to continue to make a mess. No, oh no, uh, she, she's much better now. <laughs> no, it's, it's true. I was much more effective. By not asking one time nicely? It wasn't one time, you know, it was just sort of, a, she understood. And, um, and also, I learned that she's never going to be, mis, you know, so, so uh, neat and all the rest of it. Fine, what's the big deal? It's re- as long as it's reasonable. So, um, but I don't think, I don't, to my knowledge, I don't suffer about that anymore. It's, it's okay. Uh, it, it isn't saying to not act firmly. Sometimes you have to sue the person. But you don't suffer inside. I, not my stepdaughter. I'm not suing her for leaving crumbs. <laughs> Let's say this, is a, this actually happened at this center. Uh, a Tibetan uh, lama stayed, this used to be my apartment, and he stayed up here uh, three nights a week for about four or five months. And he taught Tibetan Vipassana. And one night he talked about uh, Buddhist economics. And uh, so this person I could see is getting angry because the, the Lama is talking about, well, appreciate the, your employer for having invested the money to create a, a factory so that you could have work. It's not a trade union message. <laughs> you know, okay. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa would not love that this message. Okay, so um, this, I could see a person was sitting next to me. So finally, you know, he said, "Well, this employer promised me I don't know a thousand dollars a month, and then I w- he was only paying me five hundred. And so, what do you do then? What's the Buddhist way to then? You know. <laughs> so um, the Lama said uh, something like. Um, well, uh, send him all the loving kindness that you can and then sue him for the remaining 500. <laughs> the point is, it's not coming from... Okay, to take it to our practice, it would be seeing how furious you are. It doesn't mean you become... Some people think like if you're practicing the Buddhist teaching, you become a... a, a what do you call it? A, door, a doormat. You know, just walk all over me. I have no choices. I just, I'm just aware of everything stepping onto, you know. <laughs> that would be a misunderstanding of it. Uh, so let's say with our practice, the Lama taught a somewhat different practice. Uh, you would become aware of how uh, 
the employer is teaching you how much hate you still have, how much anger you have. How, uh, you know, it's still there it can, because it's showing itself. So he's doing you a favor in one sense. If you practice with it, it can die down a little. I'm not saying eliminate it. Maybe, maybe not. And then you can sue the person, you know, uh, just to follow up on that. But it's not, uh, the whole thing isn't, if you sue with a certain energy, you know, where like when couples break up, the divorces are so excruciatingly ugly and painful. Does it really have to be that way? I guess. But if you're a meditator and ends that way, I just wonder what you've been doing. Uh, of course, it takes two to help to, to, for it to be graceful, you know. But so it's not that you're, what, what your action is, I don't know. But it has a better chance of being appropriate, beneficial, skillful, uh, if the mind is clear rather than just reactive. So relationship is a very rich source of getting free because that's where we're trapped a lot in uh, attachments to the other person, them to us, and it's big in terms of me. We're easily hurt. Don't, don't you find that? We're very, human beings, our feelings are very easily hurt. The wrong look and a whole day is spoiled. The right look, the whole day, yes. It's a little too abstract for me. Could you bring it down, make it a little more concrete? That's right. That's right. Yes. The Buddha spoke quite a bit about that. Um, he's, it's a, 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 a very short talk, an exchange between the Buddha and his son, Rahula, where what he's teaching, the, the, I use this a lot and I will continue to if any of you are getting bored, too bad. Because it's very important. This one can help us a lot. And what he suggests to Buddha is before you, you know, say something or act, uh, reflect. For, it doesn't have to be, you know, it can be a moment. Is this going to be beneficial or not for myself and for the other person? Skillful is the word that is often used. If, if you, 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 all you can do is make the best guess you can. And then let's say you say or do it. And then it turns out it isn't. It's harmful. If you can, cut it off right then and there and apologize or just, uh, or shift gears, you know. Uh, or what often happens, it's over, and then we realize it was harmful. Okay. And even in the long term, you may look back and realize what you thought was really beneficial, and it turns out it wasn't. I have a few of those for myself, which I thought were really the right thing, good thing to do, then uh, seeing it more clearly with some time, I saw that it, it, that isn't really true. It wasn't true. Okay. Okay. So let's say it's over and you realize that uh, it was harmful. Okay, and you feel badly about it. Okay, uh, remorse. It's not. It's not a guilt trip. Remorse, in the way the Buddha using it, is is fine. You have remorse. You're sorry, and it's, you're doing it really. It's intent. If it's used in the service of learning, then it's a, then it's a skillful use of remorse. 
So if you don't use it to learn, in other words, to minimize doing that again, okay. Uh, and also he makes the distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation, which may or may not be relevant here. Because sometimes we have to, someone has wronged us, okay. Uh, you can forgive the person because if you don't, you're suffering. People carry around r- resentments all their life sometimes. I literally work with someone here. Well, no, no, she doesn't. Part of our, who had a terrible relationship with her mother for something like 40 years, and the mother with her. Tremendous resentment towards her for not being treated poorly as a child, and it just kept going. And the mother was dying. And uh, what we, you know, we talk, and I said, look, I can't be with her. I said, she's your mother. She's dying. Okay. The mother hadn't been kind to her and hadn't spoken to her in years. She went in and she held her mother's hand. It was very hard for her to do. The mother f- looked up and uh, was very loving and tearful. And shortly after that, died. Uh, that's a hard one. Okay, so now, but in the meantime, if that could have been taken care of 40 years earlier, 20 years... 10 years earlier, all that time, my mother, my... Okay, so you can forgive someone even if they're dead. You know, by, in, internally, you can heal that wound with awareness, okay, and understanding, okay. But it doesn't mean you have to reconcile with the person. In other words, you can forgive them, but you don't have to be great pals with them. Like, uh, the, be- the main example for me is I had a, a brutal sar- arm, army sergeant. Made my life the last year of it, miserable, very anti-Semitic. For some reason, he seized on me. Uh, he didn't like that I had been to college. He didn't like that I was Jewish. There was uh, whatever it was, he didn't like it. Okay, and it, uh, it took me, when I started practicing metta, and Sergeant Spade was the one I work with. I still can see his face right now. I don't know what my, my own face looks like. I remember his face forever. Uh, from Chicago. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so I tried, could not get any authentic method, metta, loving kindness going towards him. Years of practicing it. The day came where I could, but if he were alive today, it's not that I have to then go, hey, Sarge, hi, how's it going? You know, let's have a cup of tea. You don't have to reconcile, but you can heal yourself. Do you see what I'm getting at? So everything can be woven into the practice. It's a matter of intention, willingness, and understanding how to use it with your own ingenuity and skillfulness. Yeah, please. Great. I was, you know, 
strikes me is that that I, for whatever reason, the the ability to let go and sort of just have fun, laugh, you know, whatever. I was having a real. I mean, that was really what was getting in my way, and so that was what the sort of tension was about. And that's what I'm sitting here thinking today. You know, oh, you know, I, I know I thought I had it all together, but in fact, you know, I don't know if you have a comment about that. But, it seems but what what uh, could you formulate? Does it mean um, a difficulty in 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 in, in uh, seeing the lighter, more humorous side of things? Right. I mean, in other words, I can't say like some people have said. You know that I feel discouraged in my practice. I feel very excited by it, and and, and lots of things are happening that I can see. You know, as I said, in terms of reactivity, are really very positive in my life. It seems though, if I could kind of lighten up. Yes, it is. It, it is. No, no, it is. But first off, uh, sometimes there are issues, what in psychotherapy is called an issue. It's a good term, same here. Okay, and you've identified some of them. If you get too obsessed with these issues, often it's like you're trying to uh, turn out the perfect personality, you know, kind of uh, take sandpaper and, well, I'm a little too much this way, sandpaper that, I'm not enough of that, add on to this, da 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 go on forever. You don't have to have the perfect personality. Not only that, you can't have one. Personality is quicksand. It just keeps changing, arising, passing away. It's not unified. They're, they're all there, Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler. They're all living there, and they take turns. It's all going on. Uh, so let's say if you focus on suffering, okay, uh, which comes from some kind of clinging and attachment, um, do you suffer because you think you should be more uh, laughing more or lighter? Yeah, that's what the question. It sounds like that. Okay, but here's you, you don't have, don't take a workshop on how to how to how to don't go to the improv theater. Maybe I don't know, but uh, here's the here's the the overall logic of the wisdom approach. You start where you are, and let's say everyone in the room is laughing and you're not, and you feel a heaviness. And rather than doing an impersonation of being a ha ha person. Uh, start where you are, which is your mind hears it as funny, but there's no emotional reaction to it. I don't know if that's you, but I'm making something up. Okay. Okay. Um, we, so that some light, the lightning comes up, light, not lightning, but lightning comes up through fully experiencing how heavy we are. The, the, the looseness comes from experiencing the tightness, not so much doing an impersonation of being loose. And you, the other is variations. Uh, some people are, look, uh, in my neighborhood, everyone was like this. I mean, everyone had a good sense of humor because we were suffering. And we, you know, we had a, and it's a few centuries old. You know, it's for a few thousand years, Jews have been suffering and laughing, suffering and laughing. So it's a highly, de- it's a highly developed sense of absurdity, and sometimes too much. You know, it has to go back the other way, which I've learned was hard for me to do it. Uh, making some snide remark about anything, PC, wake me up, and I can just make one up, right? You know, 
it's not that you have to be that way, not at all. I've had uh, one of my last Thai forest teachers, you know, he was pleasant and whimsical, but I wouldn't say he had a great sense of humor, but he also was not suffering. He was very just, that was his name. Then Ajahn Chah could be a stand-up comic if he wanted to be. <laughs> if he just decided enough with his Dharma, Dharma stuff, he could get a job, you know, in a nightclub. He's hilarious. Ajahn uh, uh, Sansanim, the Korean Zen master I had for five very intense years, he's even he, the same cut from, he could be a, a, he's hilarious. Okay, and they used it for teaching. Okay, so uh, how was it today? Did you smile a little bit? Suggestion, don't pick me to be your teacher. Now look, let's go. Let's start with the heaviness. It's a word, but it points to something. I think we all know. We all, at least, sometimes feel that way. Okay, so you slip in under it, and we don't want to do that. So that would be a big step just to to be able to practice with it, rather than either push it away by uh, distracting yourself in some other activity, or just just going around that way. You know, which is not very feel there's suffering in that, there, isn't there? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's a form of suffering. Okay. Be with it when it turns up. See what precipitates it. Maybe certain kinds of situations or people say something, do something, and then... Okay. So to approach it in a fresh new way uh, as, as something to be learned about. Through, with, uh, uh, throw away all of your yesterdays about heaviness and come at it with a new mind. And a mind of trying to say, hmm, what is this uh, heaviness stuff when it happens? But not through thinking, but through being with it and feeling it. Uh, what it might lead to are other things, you know, which uh, cause it or uh, other words might be more appropriate than heaviness. But the words aren't it. Uh, this approach, you get to lightness through fully allowing heaviness to express itself. Okay, if you want to be nonviolent, you can do an impersonation of Gandhi. A little cultivation, okay. Don't you know? Don't, but take a look at where you're aggressive, where there's still violence. Then the the nonviolence that grows out of that could be authentic, rather than something that's you're containing the violence because you're trying to be an ideal of some kind. Do you see what I'm getting at? And it's called uh, the the way of negation. There's a very brilliant philosophic treatment of it by Nagarjuna, one of the great uh, logical yogis of, oh, long after the Buddha. 
uh, with that amount, he used the logic to do it, we're using awareness to do it, is you don't, uh, you let go, let go. In other words, you, you see, and in the falling away, the falling away, rather than trying to cultivate the quality that you think you should be, but you can do some of that as well, but, uh, but rather you see it, the impediments to it. And then out of that, who knows where it comes. But I'm just trying to relieve you of the burden of some people are more uh, in this, some are not. It's not necessarily significant. Ah, now the pro- okay. Go ahead. And I, I knew that, and that's why I've been trying to organize around it and and plan for it and not plan for it or be different or whatever. Ah, okay. Um, well, and so what? But what I I hadn't hadn't done was just kind of you know live with live with it. it it's not that okay. Not, that is something that. Um, okay. There's more to what does it mean to live with it. I want to end with this, and then we'll do some sitting together. Uh, because this, I hope, corrects the possibility that people think this is fatalism. Just, you know, oh, no. okay, okay, okay. Oh, no, but I, it's a question of recognizing. But the, the okay, but you see, what's the relationship between the seeing and action? That's what I want to get at. In other words, doing something with it or about it. Okay. So that let's say you, I don't know the details, but suddenly these last few weeks. Something is happening, and suddenly the heaviness is there. Well, it's not something that's happening. It's something that, I don't think, I mean, I could say what it is, but it, for me, the issue, I mean, I know this is the issue is recognizing the emotion. Because I was not such a head person. What, what, what the practice has done for me in the last eight years is really helped me to trust my emotions and, and sometimes, lots of times, understand them. But this particular time, I really didn't. Okay, but didn't you say that uh, in the last few weeks something, uh, that suddenly it's there? No, no, I said something is going to be happening. I said the, the heaviness has been coming to me in the last two or three weeks, but it's not because of anything that's happened in the last couple of weeks. Do you see any, you see, uh, um, uh, you see no cause and effect? No, but uh, that, that, that's the cause of not being in touch with the emotion, but what puts the emotion there in the first place? Is there any... In other words, learning, self, self-knowing, is, is, is learning how to live is, this is exactly what is meant. As you're living out your life, you learn certain things about... Uh, cause and effect is a central part of understanding because we start to see that we, uh, we make suffering, and as we learn the causes, we can... Undo that. Okay, uh, I, I don't want to dwell on it, or, but let's say when you see that, then the question is: Do you live your understanding? Very often we don't. We betray our understanding. We we see something. We, for example, it might mean telling somebody, "Look, I see what you're doing. Uh, it affects me very negatively. We've been through this before. Please, uh, I would appreciate it if you don't." I'm not saying this is you. Okay, okay, but very often people will see what needs to be done. The mind gets clear, and they don't do it anyway. 
uh, it could be, well, I'm afraid. I'll hurt the person's feelings, and then they'll reject me. I'll lose my job, you know, whatever it is. And, but often we have a lifetime of practice of not living our understanding. Wisdom is meant to be lived. Otherwise, it's dead. And we're very, very good at putting off, coping with, delaying, postponing. Uh, time will fix it uh, to avoid any uh, collision or confrontation or whatever it is that needs to be done. So let's say you see that you're not living your understanding. You know exactly what needs to be said or done. This is for all of us. It's not necessarily about you. Uh, then that itself becomes the place that you look. And you begin to see, that's interesting. Uh, I know exactly what needs to be done. I have to say this to this person or stop doing this or start doing that. And I don't do it. Well, why do I betray my understanding? I'm intentionally using a strong word. Okay. Then you look at that and you realize maybe it's fear. Maybe it's this. And then you start practicing with that. And so it's a kind of investigation whereby probing and looking. It's not so much thinking, a little bit. Um, it frees you to perhaps be able to act and to stop doing certain things that are causing suffering or to start doing things that are beneficial that you're not doing or whatever it is. Do you see what I'm getting at? So it's not fatalistic or passive. It's And your chances of the action being skillful are enhanced by the degree to which the mind is clear. A reactive mind is not clear. It's mechanical. It's the past. It's yesterday responding to today.